Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the values of the value guys. I'm a 30-year Wall Street veteran that has had to go underground, take on a secret identity in order to provide you with my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investments Survey. You've seen my face on TV, you've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, so I disguise my voice and they'll never know. This week I look at the October 29th, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, uh, but before I get to that, a couple of important disclosures. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, secondly, I may have many important conflicts of interest, including uh, giving you advice opposite to that of your own best interests, but in mine best interests. So be careful of that. Third, I may be completely uninformed. It's just after work, and I'm just paging through Value Line. And then, uh, most importantly, I may be drinking. And uh, tonight, I actually, I am drinking. So um, if those caveats have not dissuaded you from listening, then there's even more caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. And uh, there's links there to best ideas and things like that. So check that out. Um, tonight's show, or this morning, you know, I don't know when you're listening, but it's tonight where I am. I'm going to have three... Uh, pretty good value ideas like I try to do each week. But, of course, as longtime listeners know, I've been failing miserably at that recently. And I haven't, I've been on, you know, after doing the show basically weekly for four and a half years, a lot started changing for me. And I'm actually, I've got a cold right now. So, um, I moved. Um, I partnered up with another business. There was a lot of new people around. We had to meet, and there were lots of lawyers all over the place for months and months. So anyway, uh, and then I took some time off. But I really, I have not given this show the attention it deserves. And I've had some email that says, hey, Val, uh, get with it. Are you going to do the show? Well, I am going to do the show. And But I just, you know, I just sort of got into this thing, like, let's say you're touring uh, Asia, which I wasn't, but you just lose track, and all of a sudden, I apologize, a bunch of weeks have gone by, I haven't done the show, but hopefully we'll get back to it, uh, or I will, obviously you don't have any, you're getting back to it right now. Uh, also, I wanted to address something, the show that I did most recently I did something that I'd never done, which is somebody wrote in um, and wanted to do a rant because I'd been doing rants and they wanted to get in the spirit of the rant and do a rant. And I applaud the rant. You know, I mean, where would this country be without a good rant? Many of them, thousands of great rants. So uh, I put his rant on the back end of the show and, uh, you know, I got some email. I guess it got a little political, and it did. And, uh, you know, i that's okay. I mean, it's no big deal. But some people said, hey, Val, come on, it's a stock show. And so you're right, you know. So uh, I think what I'm going to do 
is the rant. You know, if I have one, I do. I'm not particularly feeling rant-worthy tonight. So I'm going to save you a bunch of time, save me some time, and I'm just going to have a couple of good ideas this week. Um, you know, the market's already reacting. It's, uh, what day is this? It's, uh, it's actually Thursday, uh, November 4th. So, again, a huge rally today. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm basically trying to beat the Russell 2000 value, small cap value. So it's one place in the market where if you are a value investor, uh, you actually have a chance to go in, dig into the fundamentals, dig into the financials, try to understand what the company is doing and what the company is really worth if you were just to buy it uh, without a stock market and just earn money off of it. You know, what would it be worth? And so... Um, because in some areas, there's so few analysts following these names and they don't get written about and, you know, they're begging for attention. Wall Street doesn't have the uh, resources it once did. There, there's got to be half as many analysts around Wall Street as there used to be. And so some of these companies, even though obviously they're a click away on the Internet, I mean, nobody's clicking. Etoys was a click away, too, and they're gone. So... Um, they struggle for attention, and it's one of those places where I think you really can uh, get proprietary knowledge, and that means knowledge that very few people have. And if you're patient and wait, uh, you know, for other people to learn about it over time, then that's how the value guys uh, out in the market earn their money. They 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 basically are making money when they buy it. They're buying it at a great earnings yield. And as an investor in the stock, you're not actually getting that cash. But the fact that a bunch of wealthy investors, and there's more of them around than ever before, could go and simply buy the company, and that's sim that's very true in small cap land. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you can you can walk into some clubs and you know, show of hands, who wants to you know throw money in, will buy this little company. So that fact keeps keeps really the market honest and you, you end up having an arbitrage between the stock market valuation and what a group of guys down at the you know at the bar could pay for the company and and so uh, to the extent that that type of uh, proprietary knowledge is available I think it tends to be in small cap land so that's what I and my team does um, but today was uh, the Russell 2000 value I think was the biggest performing index um, you know, it was up, uh, I don't know, two, 2.4% today. And so the rally has been going on for a while. Um, and I think, you know, it's basically the market recognizing that the probability that, um, you know, their after-tax earnings are, are going to grow faster than they thought as a result of the Republicans rolling back some of these taxes that were coming and all that and the expenses for health care and all that. I mean, um, what the government doesn't spend in the economy is left for the private sector. The stock market is the private sector. So you're really seeing nothing more than uh, the increased probability that the market share of the economy, which is represented in some big percentage, you know, I don't know, it could be uh, what's the value of the public markets relative to the total value of private business? Um, you know, I, I think I think you have to guess it's in it's in the high. You know, it's ninety percent or eighty five percent. I I really don't know. It's a good question. Um, but if that's true, what you're seeing in the market is just um, 
if you had extrapolated the percent of GDP that was going to be government, uh, that was going to be deducted from the value of the, you know, in effect, private sector. But now we can throw it back in. So there you go. Stock market going up. I don't want to get too detailed into the analysis I'm doing here um, because I don't, I'm not doing any. But that's just one high-level thought. Or not high-level, but just, you know, uh, off the top of my head thought as to why um, all stocks are going up. And I'm sure if you dig in, the ones that are most affected by very specific issues, um, you know, did better. And, of course, the overlay is that there's a bunch of company report, companies reporting earnings. And, uh, you know, today was a big earnings day. This week's been a big earnings week. And so there's surprises going on all over the place in terms of better numbers than people thought. You were stocks up, uh, you know, 15% today all over the place. And uh, it was typically better earnings than you thought. And when you take that higher trajectory and you, you know, throw a little bit of uh, optimism into the future, bingo, you got a big rally. So that happened today. Um, and so it's unusual for me to go and check current prices off the value line. You know, these are basically prices from last, uh, well, geez, this is last Friday's issue, which is a week ago, and those are prices Monday. So this is from, you know, nearly two weeks ago. But I am, uh, I, I went to the trouble, which I don't usually do. I'm not really high tech, but I, uh. You know, these phones, I mean, you can basically get any get anything you need. So I went to the trouble of getting uh, current prices. And off the value line published price, they're only up about, I mean, it depends, but, you know, 3 4% in some cases. Um, so let me get to some stocks. I did go through this week's entire issue, week of October 29th. And uh, I had trouble in here because there's a big section on food processors. Well, food processing is super stable, just like the long-term treasury bond, and that yields 3%. Well, okay, if you think of that, the inverse, 3%, that's 33 times earnings. The long-term bond, if it is 3%, I'm guessing a little, um, if it is 3%, that's 33 times net earnings. If you think a food processor is kind of like a bond, you're drawn to it because of the safety, the stability, then um, it may be counterintuitive because it's not growing, but what you're getting is you're getting the safety and the long bond and being, ends up being kind of the benchmark of the cost or the price of, of safety. And so other um, uh, sort of risk-free or low-risk investments kind of take their cue from that. It's a yield plus sort of environment, and that's why um, your earnings yield is a pretty good benchmark. In these cases, they just all looked expensive, and you could go through here. You know, there's a few interesting things in here, but cat's out of the bag, everybody. Uh, the economy is going to be bad, and with somewhat of a rearview mirror, that whole section looks expensive to me. In retail, there's another big section on retail uh, food, and again, um, cats out of the bag, those are all expensive to me. Beverage industry, pricey. I don't know. Uh, foreign electronics, you know, I, I think it's hard to make money in that business. Surprising, but it's true. Um, banking, uh, I think you're, it's Banks of Canada, and I just, I want to say... Um, if you go to the uh, Federal Reserve uh, of St. Louis publication site, 
There's amazing data in there for free. And um, I don't know when it was. You know, we talk a little bit about Canada on the show occasionally. And so um, I, I took a look. I was going through the uh, international economic trends and international monetary trends, which is a very easy way to just go and check it out. It's all graphics, and it, you'll have an informed opinion about what the heck's going on in the world. Um, and so I think that's worth doing. Um, because if you can read and think, you, you can, you know, some of this is just common sense. I think, not that I have the answer, but I have sat in rooms where PhDs in economics take opposing sides of these issues and argue with such passion um, that it makes me feel safe about having really any opinion. As long as I can explain it to myself, uh, I feel good about it. And and if my wife thinks it makes sense, then, you know, I, I have some conviction. So Federal Reserve of St. Louis, uh, go check it out. And what you'll learn in there is Canadian banks, Canada, they have right now, you know, the best banks in the world in terms of capital rates and um, secure, um, you know, loan-to-value ratios and um, all those kinds of things, lost to assets and very well run, very secure, and I just keep thinking that Canada has an enormous once-in-a-nation's-history opportunity right now, which would simply be uh, lower the tax rate, uh, although we got this optimism going here now. This would have been a great idea. I did talk about it a few months ago, but I didn't get any, you know, calls back from Canada. But had they done some kind of tax rate reduction? I had the thought they could attract, you know, millions of Americans who uh, were already used to the cold, uh, were scared of banks here. They had great banks. They could have played that up. And um, they could have had an inflow of, you know, add their population to 20, 30 percent of their population, be, you know, take their place at the table of bigger countries, but they didn't do it. Anyway, there's a section on Canadian banks. I digress. And uh, take a look at it, but I didn't. What I did find interesting and I'll get to it here, is um, the uh, tobacco industry. And uh, let's see. Here we go. Wow, I'm really burning time here in the show. I just looked at the timer. I'm sorry. Uh, and I do have uh, three pretty good ideas in tobacco this week, so let me get right to them. <clears throat> no, two and one different one. But let me start out with one I do own. Uh, Philip Morris, ticker PM. Um, I can probably tell you the page number here. There are people that like that. Yep, 1994. I like it the most. But, um, and the uh, page, uh, the printed price here is $57, but it's actually sixty eighty-two. So whatever. But what I'm attracted to at Philip Morris International is, uh, well, certainly in these times, the yield, 4.5%. So if you're looking for yield, current yield, that's a great number, and it's very secure. The dividend payout ratio, you know, earnings uh, about four bucks. The dividend is two thirty-eight. Earnings will be very stable at Philip Morris International. Philip Morris International is Marlboro and all their other brands everywhere except in the United States, and most of those places allow advertising. So um, they're really having a chance to. Uh, grow the business internationally in ways that were somewhat off limits here uh, in the United States. Plus, 
there is a correlation, you know, before, before cultures start worrying about health, um, they're just excited about getting wealthy and then they smoke. And so that's what's going on in China and India and the populations are growing. And so seeing a lot of growth, these are the guys that are selling all the Marlboros, uh, over there. And so it's got a pretty interesting, um, you know, potential to, uh, you know, have, a, have a lot of years of stable growth. They're, they're putting up high teens operating margins. That's real attractive. Their returns on capital are in the thirties, low thirties. And, you know, this company's only been around for four years cause it was a spin out. So who knows how this is going to evolve, but, um, cigarette use worldwide, you know, it's always pretty stable unless it's declared illegal. Then it drops to, you know, 100%. So that's never exactly happened. But when in the United States they started laying things on like age limits and banning advertising, you know, that stuff put dampers into growth. And that stuff hasn't happened yet internationally. So, you know, those are bad things out yet to come. But what I like about this is it's 4.5% yield. So that's the yield. And if something bad happens and the stock goes down and you just pay attention to your yield on your cost, it's going to still be 4.5% that grows because the dividend undoubtedly is going to grow over time. And, uh, you know, we do know from some history here that as things are declared illegal uh, or, you know, they limit the use or the government gets involved in more taxes, and the, once the government becomes your partner in the business, you know, you take that initial hit, but it really is stable because the risk of, you know, them taking it away goes down because they start to really enjoy the tax revenue. So I honestly don't know to the extent to which that's happened in China and places like that. But my guess is this stuff is super entrenched. And as I was saying, the long bond, 33 times net earnings, this is 14 times net earnings. Um, and so the yield on the bond, 3%, the yield on this, 1 over 14. So what's that, 7%? Uh, now, we don't really get that, of course. We get the earnings yield, which is four and a half. Pretty good. But if we got together and bought the company, got a bunch of guys and got $120 billion, um, then, uh, you know, we would, in fact, own um, an asset that was generating, you know, 7%. And plus it grows. Now, uh, Value Line hasn't taken the opportunity here to make an estimate as to what the growth rate is apt to be. Not sure why, but maybe it's just too hard to predict. So what if we just say, you know, population growth plus a little bit or GDP growth, something like that. You know, you're talking about low uh, numbers, but then typically, again, I don't know what's going on over there, but in the U.S., these kinds of companies, they always get price increases certainly with inflation and uh, maybe a little more on top of that uh, because it's an addictive drug. So they benefit from people's uh, reluctance to back away from uh, purchase for, uh, excuse me, a few cents. So Philip Morris, it's really Philip Morris International, ticker PM, page, um, what did I say here, 1904. Uh, next up is a kind of a weird one. It's Reynolds American, ticker RAI. It's also a tobacco company. It's on page uh, 19, 
95, so that other one's 1994. I can't remember anything. But here's the weird thing. I'm looking uh, up the prices. You know, Value Line has this printed here at $31 a share. So I'm looking up the prices on my uh, my phone here. And uh, I've got a lot of different places I can look. Everywhere I looked said $66. And uh, the Value Line says $31. Okay, a mystery. Well, maybe there was a split. Maybe there's two companies. So the last split... Checked around 2006. Um, there don't seem to be any other companies with a similar name that I could find, um, and so uh, and it's showing a 6.3 percent yield, where uh, the yield that uh, I'm seeing on uh, you know live quote uh, websites and uh, places like FactSet and places like that, um, Bloomberg, um, is that the yield is 3%. So it's weird. I mean, I've been looking at Value Line a long time. I'm wondering if through some odd mishap, they simply got the share count wrong. And the share count in the Value Line is 584. The share count on my various uh, you know, sources here is, uh, is half of that, almost exactly. 290. So I think there's just been a mistake on share count. I'm going to ignore that because it appears that all the other metrics that interest me, uh, it doesn't matter what the share count is because they're based on market cap and things like that. So what I'm primarily attracted to here, again, I've got yield, 3%. I've got an operating margin in the 30s that's very stable. Uh, I've got returns on capital here, not as high as Philip Morris, but in the mid-teens. And yet these stocks never get the multiple that, for example, food stocks get. Um, the enterprise value to EBITDA here is seven times. So on a pre-tax basis, that's 14%. The long bond at 3%, that is a pre-tax number for most buyers. And this is 14 so, in the food companies are trading more at a 5%, 6% earnings yield. These guys are at 14. So, obviously, the market has built in a giant insurance premium for the potential, um, you know, uh, intervention by governments, perhaps, to or to, to limit sales in some way, limit the business. There's no precedent for that, particularly, um, other than perhaps a few extremely, um, you know, extreme cultures. And, uh, and so I, I think it's misplaced. And even if it isn't, in the meantime, you're getting a yield better than what you're getting most anywhere in terms of the dividend yield. So uh, I like it, just like I like Philip Morris. Now, do you need to own both? Um, I can say that in a portfolio of 50 stocks uh, that's yield-oriented, you know, these are two good stocks to have, and maybe together, tobacco, an addictive drug, should be. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shy away from having it be five percent of my portfolio, uh, whatsoever. So, Reynolds, what else can I tell you about it?
Um, ah, I guess I should have read this. The board did approve a stock split. Okay, so a value line's a little ahead of the game in putting the share count higher before it's actually happened. All the quote services uh, are going to wait till that actually happens. But um, let's see, we should be in the next 30 days. So that looks good. What else? Um, hmm. Tough regulation, high taxes, unfavorable trends. That just means business as usual. Um, now, this is, on the other hand, an American company, I should say, versus Philip Morris. And so uh, that's in part why it's a uh, lower multiple. But I wanted to contrast this, actually, with Universal Corp, because that's right next to Reynolds in the value line. And you say, well, why wouldn't you look at that? It's even cheaper, you know, and the yield's even higher, 4.6% um, <clears throat> versus this Reynolds um, 3%. So, um, and by the way, value line, I think the yield still is wrong, even though you're anticipating the uh, the split. So Universal, well, here's why I didn't go with it, even though it's cheaper. First thing, you look at the returns on capital. You know, Reynolds and Philip Morris to a greater extent, but let's look at two American companies here. Although a lot of Reynolds is, uh, is it overseas? Let's see. No, that's sold at Reynolds and... Uh, Yeah, it looks like Universal is uh, largely domestic as well. So we do have an apples-to-apples -apples situation. You know, Reynolds is putting up mid-teens returns on capital. Universal, uh, upper single digits. So if you think about a return as a growth rate, if I have, you know, uh, $100 in capital, if I earn 8% next year, I have $108 in capital. If I earn 14 I have 114 dollars in capital. So I can use that difference to hire smarter people, uh, get better economies of scale in my plant, advertise, price cut, um, you know, who knows. But it gives you an advantage and it keeps multiplying every year. And so that's been going on a long time at Universal. Um, you might say, well, gee, why don't they just write off the equity? Because you see a lot of companies, if you want to get your return on equity from 9% to 18, just write off half your equity. Okay. Well, the share equity here is a billion too. If I wrote half of that off, that's 600 million. And that's about the entire earnings of the company for four years. So if I do that, I'm saying that company didn't earn money for the last four years, or if I want to take the last 10, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, it looks like eyeballing, that's about a billion five, so I'd say, you know, they earned two-thirds of what they said here over the last, uh, you know, 10 years, uh, but then the, so the, so, but the, you know, so the equity was, was overstated all that time, and, um, that just means they, in effect, overpaid for, for things uh, that, you know, plant equipment. They never got the return on it. And that's showing up here in the numbers. I actually like companies that don't write things off because you can see the actual returns they're actually getting on the actual assets they actually bought. When you write stuff off, 
then you got to look five years ago. Not to say these guys might not have, but the numbers look pretty steady. And uh, so it gives you a chance to look back here and see what they're earning now on assets they bought um, years ago. Although, you know, certainly they're depreciating them. But versus writing things off, it's hard to go back, particularly in a value line, and say, well, gee, there's a asset decline six years ago that uh, means that they, you know, and they, and they write it off uh, below the line. So they don't reduce the net profit number that you see. Uh, in a publication like this across the page, no, they just reduce the equity, leaving the impression that that money they earned a few years before the write-off, they really earned. Well, no, if there's a write-off, it means they didn't really earn that money. And uh, why? Because they overpaid for an asset. They lost the money the day they bought that asset, but then they carried it for a few years, and they wrote it off down the road. Um so I really don't like those kinds of things. Anyway, that's for a different show. Um, these guys are just not putting up the you know the returns. And then on the operating margin side, Universal is putting up you know ten percent kind of numbers. Reynolds thirty three. So what does that mean? I mean I don't know exactly because I'm not doing any work, but um, and I don't have a lot of data here in the value line. So either they're not getting as good of a price on their uh, on a markup to the cost of goods. I mean, they, what are they doing here? They're selling uh, cigarette and pipe tobacco. So they're selling uh, tobacco. 35 countries. Okay, it's not just U.S. They buried that. Um, so, you know, I guess it's more of a volume business, lower margin, but that should mean higher turnover if they're good distributors and you know their revenue uh, to total assets here is really about one to one so uh, when you look at great distributors it's uh, it's ten to one or it could be twenty to one here it's one to one so that's not impressive on a you know sort of logistics sort of basis turnover and then the margins no good so uh, obviously um, turnover at times margin is your return and they're not good in either turnover or margin you know pick one get good at it so and they have not chosen either one and so you know what am I to guess just here doing no work is that with a low margin they can get priced out obviously Reynolds can drop their price I mean they're not competing so it's not apples to apples at all but just as a business um, you know, Universal, for whatever reason, they're obviously in some type of commodity business. They don't get to create a consumer brand that people get loyal to. It's just people choosing uh, best price on things. So I passed on it, despite the high yield. just thought I'd throw that in. Okay, finally, I have one more. And uh, well, the show's really dragged on, despite not doing a rant, so... Um, it didn't work out exactly how I thought, but one more. This is not a tobacco company. Um, it's uh, although it's in the food area, sentient, and I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Ticker SXT, page. Uh, let me give you the page number here. Let's see, I don't have good lighting in here. Let's see. Hey, there's a picture of my wife. 
up on the wall there. It's nice. She's in the other room. Let's see here. Sentient, page 1933. Okay, so that's good to know. A value line says this was 3130. I checked it. It's 3437. This one's actually up 10% since it was priced 10 days ago. Um, why was I attracted to this one? Well, Sentient is, uh, they provide colors, flavors, and fragrances. And I have something for these kinds of companies. I don't know. If you look through past shows, you'll see I've talked about international flavors and fragrances. Um, which is just uh, up on 57th Street. So if you're uh, in New York, then you can just take a cab up there. And it's uh, you can do a tour, and it's, it's a lot of fun, actually, because uh, these companies, you know, their stuff gets in products you think you know. So if you think you know what a McDonald's French fry smells like, it's not the French fry that smells like that. It's the the flavor fragrance that somebody has sold to them. I think it's IFF in that case. But there's a lot of stuff like that. Drinks, perfumes, all that. The company on the label, they don't, you know, they don't make the smell, the essence of what the consumer is experiencing um, in that area. Taste and smell is, uh, is made by companies like Sentient. And so what's interesting about that because these guys don't put up a great return on capital, and normally I wouldn't be that attracted to it. And I'm not that attracted to it now, frankly, other than it does have a yield 2.6%, and I think that's very stable because the part of uh, the consumer experience that's made up of the products that these guys make is very high, but the percent of the cost that's made up by what these guys do, I think is pretty low. And so it also gives them pricing power if the consumer experience is built around something these guys do because uh, obviously if you change things up, you could have an unpredictable impact on demand. And so unless you're really you know, trying to nail the, the customer on pricing or something or you have a real terrible quality problem, they're going to stay with you and you'll be able to keep competitors out um, who, you know, in order to come in, they're going to have to really cut price. And, you know, you can you can match that for a year or two until they go away. So, or just refuse to and, you know, but, and, and, and then, you know, you're, you're not going to, you know, try to change up your product on a, uh, on a company that, you know, is new, new to the field. And so, in part, that's why these guys deserve a premium multiple. Again, the long bonds at 3% yield. These guys are at a 14 PE, which is a 7% net yield. It's nine times EBITDA, which is 11% cash on cash yield. And that's actually uh, a lower yield than I like. Um, but, you know, Value Line thinks they're going to grow earnings 10%. So back at the envelope total return, Earnings yield plus growth, that gets me toward 20%. Now, interestingly, you'll hear value guys say, I don't like to buy growth. Okay, well, here, here's how I interpret that. I'm a grown man. Here's what I think that means. If you need a 20% return, let's say, to own a you know reasonably risky stock, maybe you'd take less for a stable stock, 
know, that pays a dividend or something like that. But if you need 20%, if the stock's five times EBITDA, uh, I might argue you, you, you buy it and you just got your 20%. Again, they're not paying you the cash, but you they're earning that money. And if they're not paying it to you, they're throwing it back into the business. And unless they're you know, idiots, they're earning a decent return on that. They may not be earning the same 20%, but arguably if they're, uh, you know, in in some kind of business that uh, lends itself to earning decent returns, they're going to reinvest that and earn a decent return more than you could earn. And so that's valuable, but they don't need to grow in order to add to your return. You're happy with just the earnings yield. In fact, if they just continue to turn out the same level of business, and continue to earn that same level of earnings, um, then you'd continue to earn your 20%. And assuming the value of the company didn't change and it was an earnings yield-based valuation, then down the road, you'd get your money out. So um, uh, so that, you know, you're not buying growth. In this one, 11% is the earnings yield, but I need more to buy it, and I'm going to get that in the growth. The reason I'm willing to buy into a little growth here is that a couple things. I think the trends are pretty clear that people are uh, eating food and uh, drinking beverages and there's 5,000 years of history of using cosmetics. These things are entrenched and when you have the essence of those products built into your product line and it's a good value to the customer then the stability of that is very high and so I have a lot of confidence in the yield uh, for one thing I look back over history and I'm not seeing any uh, dividend declines so that gives me confidence and then I think ultimately uh, a buyer obviously you know uh, corporate uh, balance sheets have more cash as a percentage of assets than they have had since 1950 so could someone buy this company it's a 1.6 billion dollar market cap, uh, you know, and there's not much debt here, $300 million. So uh, none of these stocks have any debt problems that I've talked about tonight. So they're, you know, they're bite-sized for some people. And so um, I think ultimately in a world where it's hard to get a return, um, being able to buy a company and earn a, you know, earn a higher than market yield as a result of that purchase. You know, not that you buy things for buyouts, but that certainly keeps the valuation honest. And you got the yield while you're waiting. Yeah, some of the detail on this one is simply that um, business is better than people thought. They have a segment here that's growing 20%. It's trading at a discount to the market PE. So, um, you know, simply speaking, with below average risk to the product line, uh, valuation that's below average and, you know, an upturn in their business. I, I can't imagine a pickup in the valuation is very far behind. Um, one argument that Value Line is making here is that as a result of a shift toward more um, natural ingredients, that it's harder to get certain colors and textures with natural ingredients and you use more of them to achieve that and I'm assuming they mean more volume, which means if this stuff is priced per uh, pound or ounce or ton or what have you, um, you know, that would obviously help help the overall business. And maybe that's what's driving the, the revenue. Um, 
in which case you would just get it um, as uh, you know natural foods took share from regular foods. So you know, but even if it's a few years, I'll take it. And so uh, Value Line likes that. And what else? It's a lot of good stuff here. You can read it. Um, and uh, what else can I tell you? Uh, not a lot. Sentient ticker SXT. So I'm going to need a favorite now. That is something I'd like to continue with here for Phil, of course. So let's see. Uh, favorite idea. You know, I'm going to say Philip Morris International, and I may have already picked it as a favorite another week, but that's PM ticker, no, uh, page 1994. Nope. What is it now? I'm sorry. Is that right? Yeah, 1994. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Have a good night.